that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. The dog days of summer are here. And I'm John Viola, your host, getting to spend another day with two of my favorite people, the notorious P.O.B. Patrick O'Boyle and the Belle of Bensonhurst, Miss Rosella Rago. Guys, long time since the three of us have actually been together. That sounds like a book, the Belle of Benson, an Adrian Trajani book. Oh, don't tell her that. Do you think you could get Adrian to write a book about you, the Belle of Bensonhurst? Maybe John could. John can convince anybody to do anything. <laughs> Don't say that on the air. That'll, nobody will believe in me. Adrian Tijani, <laughs> if you're listening. No, I think that's absolutely the Bella Bensonhurst. Actually, a really good title for a book. How is the Bella Bensonhurst? I feel like I miss you. Haven't you? You're deep in the cookbook work right now. Um, in the promo work. Yeah, I spent I spent a great uh, day with Pat and uh, Joey Vitali the other day at an incredible Scopa tournament that you backed out of, John. Yeah, I got a little under the weather. I know that was the growing up Italian Scopa tournament in Our Lady of the Snow Hall in my own uh, backyard. That's true. That was your people. I know. For those of you who don't know, John is Sanzes and the Lady of the Snow Society and the hall in Williamsburg, Brooklyn is for people from Santa. So that's as you as you can be. Yeah, I, I have one Sanzes grandmother and uh, my family's been members of the club since like 1903, I think. And Yeah, but you're kind of half Sanzes. Well, yeah, my dad's side, my dad's father came from the town. He was born in the town next to Sansa in Buenavitacolo. But if you go back, his father really came from Basilicata. So I guess I'm kind of half. I mean, grew up with both my grandparents acting Sansa's for sure. Everybody was in the society, all my family and stuff. But second oldest feast in America, too. Oh, uh, no, I think it's the third or fourth. Oh, gosh. All of these people. Everybody always does that to me. Hamilton, number one, right? It went Hamilton, East Harlem. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, East Harlem. Our Lady of Mount Carmel in downtown Jersey City, 1887. What is Morona La Neve, 1889? 1888. Eight, then it goes Morona La Neve, 1884. That's a good question. Be beyond World War II and the pandemic. That's the question. Continuous feast? Um, I don't. I mean, like, how can any of us know? I mean, did they stop for World War II? I don't know. You know, World War II and the pandemic, we can forgive. But, you know, uh, just like nobody's interested, we stopped doing it for five years. That kind of thing. That's a great question. I, I mean, Mount Carmel and East Harlem is kind of tricky because the feast stopped a number of years ago. And the statute, they have a procession every year, but not always with the statutes. It's a feast nerd debate. <laughs> That's what this show is for. If you're out there, feast nerds, let us know who you are. Who are bigger feast nerds than the two of you? No, from, uh, well, Paul Pacelli, the feast man. That's about yes. This is like five feast nerds bigger than us, I think. That's, I'm like the low rung. Pat's, you're a better feast nerd than me. You know everything. It's, it's such an important part of our history. Speaking of feast nerding, big shout out to some of our listeners out there because you spent not only... Saturday playing Scopa with Roe and Joey and the crew from Growing Up Italian. But uh, you spent Sunday at a feast that was revived for the first time in a very long time by one of our listeners. It's com- it's complicated. One of our listeners is attempt. Jay Rotino is attempting. There was a feast for San Leucho from San Salvatore de Telesino. It was in Patterson up from the 20s until the 70s. It died out in Patterson, New Jersey. It's a long story what happened. 
it transferred to a colony of people from San Salvatore in New Haven, Connecticut. And so the Patterson people and the New Haven people basically reconnected this Sunday. You know, and the beautiful thing about this day and age is with the Internet, you can, you know, Patterson and New Haven or North Jersey and New Haven were a million miles away years ago, but they're not anymore. Yeah. So now the, the Jersey feast can be revived based on the model up in New Haven. Uh, I don't know. That's a, I, I had this conversation with Jay. I think maybe San Leucho has two feast days, June 11th, and the people in San Salvatore celebrate them on the last Sunday in July. My advice was, you know, you could do something in Jersey in January, something up there in Connecticut. You know, it's, it's all about, and it, but they all, I mean, they have an established group up there of people who came from San Salvatore. This is wonderful to see young people making the effort to bring these things back. Yeah, sure. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I love that. Charlie Spada, you know, uh, on our heroes list, like so many people are going and doing the right thing. Yeah. Like, yes, if I die tomorrow and that's what came out of all this, I'd be the happiest man ever. Now, there's something very special about the hunt for your culture and the pursuit of it and the idea of um, understanding it and, and really engaging it. And I think it's it's you know really important work that everybody's out there doing, trying to discover and disseminate and perpetuate a lot of our culture here, this unique Italian-American culture. And we've got a guest today who has done quite a bit of that for the Italian culture in Italy. Carla Gambesha is an Italian cultural edutainer, an award-winning author, a travel journalist, lecturer, and an avid photographer. And you probably know her from her very, very well-received work, La Dolce Vita University, a book that's now in its second edition. And it is one that all of us have in our libraries, I'm sure. It is a great catalog of, uh, I would say, close to all things Italian. So, Carla, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. We're really happy to have you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And actually, you started this podcast off saying, you know, dog days of summer. Well, you know, that expression has nothing to do with like dogs don't fare well in the heat. It actually goes back to Roman times. And um, the period between July and mid-August was like, of course, the most super hot part of the summer. But at that time, um, the uh, constellation um, Canis Major, like the dog star, was at its highest point in the sky midday. And the Romans erroneously thought that the star made the sun hotter. And so the or that origin of the expression really comes from that. I mean, there's just so much in our day-to-day life that is really part of our heritage that people don't realize. I mean, just so many things, you know, it all goes back to Italy, you know. <laughs> I think it must have been very cool, not cool, like hip cool, like cool as in cooling. As an AC to wear those Roman togas, they were white, they were cotton, they were airy. I mean, it must have been great to walk around this time of year in those outfits. I bet it was a lot better than uh, conducting business in Italy in August nowadays. Remember the medieval times, all those outfits they wore, black, heavy velvet, summer and wool, they must have been sweating. The Romans, I mean, they had running water, they had showers. They're very civilized. They were very civilized. Maybe Maybe that's where I get it from. (laughs) <laughs> That's probably true. I think you're an Oscan, Pat. I don't know if you're Roman. Yeah, it's, they were probably worse. And actually, if you were a wealthy Roman, you would sprinkle like saffron in the bath. Really? Yes, that would be really. 
well, you know, it was a good smelling and it was also had aphrodisiacal qualities. You know, you might put it in your wine. There were many uses and actually uh, Nero, he wouldn't enter the city without them sprinkling saffron along his like roof. They would also sprinkle for good smells in theaters with saffron. Because the people smelled probably. Well, yeah, maybe, you know, I mean, that's kind of like the whole thing with perfume. It started not to enhance, but, you know, to cover over things, you know, but even, you know, you get back to spices and Catherine de' Medici, for example, when she moved to France, part of her dowry was to bring her chefs and bring exotic vegetables. But her chef was the first, or one of her chefs was the first to actually use spices to enhance the flavor of food rather than use spices to cover spoilage, you know, to mask flavor, but rather, you know, to enhance flavor. So, I mean, it's just around us in every way, in ways we don't even realize. And so my thing is to be an evangelist for even the small things, you know, not just like, so many big things and you know whether it's like roman roads or the law or all of these things that go back but let me ask you a, qu- a roman-based question okay when you think roman do you think of i'll say latium right do you think of just the area around rome or do you see it as like that whole mediterranean empire because so many nations and peoples made up the roman empire like, do we own do we own Greece's accomplishments because we conquered Greece? I don't mean that in a funny sense, but it all was kind of thrown into the salad of what it was Rome. Okay, so um, I mean, the interesting thing about Rome, I mean, you bring up Greece and the Greek Empire, for example, was at its height with Alexander the Great, about the size of the Roman Empire, which was massive. Except that Alexander, you know, he died. And then everything collapsed. The amazing thing about the Romans was they knew how to like create glue to bring communities together, to form cities. I mean, the Romans were great organizational minds and they put together the like infrastructure and operating system. So they were builders of roads, builders of cities, builders of aqueducts, you know, some of the, you know, longest lasting buildings, you know, still stand. They're Roman. Uh, And then the operating system was really, you know, the law. And that's what holds civilized societies together. So to me, you know, Rome, I think of the broader empire. And then, of course, like Latium, Rome being Rome uh, and the center of all of that. But I really think of it as the empire. And, you know, this incredible advance in society, which, again, was building communities. I mean, and even something like the Colosseum, you know, it's like entertainment for the people. And so bringing together people, creating this broader sense of inclusion. So, yeah, I think of it as the totality of it all. Explain to us so the audience gets to uh, see this, what you do. And why you do what you do. I, you know, if you had told me like 30 years ago, I owned a restaurant, actually. I owned and operated a restaurant for nearly a decade. And then I wrote my book. 
If you had told me, oh, you're going to own a restaurant and it'll be reviewed by the New York Times and you'll write a book and it'll win like awards, I would have like laughed at the sheer improbability of it all. And I don't know, to me, life has this way of turning things that are improbable into inevitable just because of the journey that you go on. And I had something happen, you know, like my parents planted these seeds from when I was really little. You know, my father said, oh, you're descended from, you know, the Medici and the Romans. I didn't know what that meant, but like, was like, oh, good. (laughs) That makes me feel important. But, you know, I went about my life. I did things. I went to school. I didn't, I didn't even study Italian. But the pride that my parents had was so deep inside that, I don't know, I took a trip. I took a bike trip in Sicily about 30 years ago. And it was like my personal renaissance. I was like, oh, my God, I'm transformed. You know, I'm going to own a restaurant. I'm going to have a gelato case. I want to create a restaurant that people think they're in Italy. I'm going to be, you know, this purveyor of cultural experience. And sure enough, it took me about 10 years to do that. I did because I wanted to share how amazing Italy is and how incredible Like you get off the plane and you feel different when you arrive in Italy and no culture is like Italy. It's inclusive. It's an inclusive culture. It's full of joy and just hospitality and it's the best. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I began like with this dream of a restaurant. Uh, I managed to do that and it became a place of community. Part of my theory was that food was like a portal to telling stories, you know, like people don't want to read things that are hard. I also, as a writer, I mean, my background is like advertising. So, you know, I summarize things, like get at the essence of it. So I did that with programs at my restaurant, special dinners. And then I had little like little fun cards that people would collect with fun facts And then my book was born of the restaurant. And actually having a book is a lot easier way to touch like more people than, you know, anyone who happens to pass through your restaurant. So it's a lot more efficient to do what I'm doing. But, you know, I feel like I'm on this mission, not just within the Italian American community, but within like the world at large. And it's amazing because, you know, we're very like us, but People love Italy and people, I would say in my restaurant, uh, you have an inner Italian, you know, and people will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're not Italian, but they're like, yes, of course I have that. It's like the coolest part of themselves, you know, the part that's joyful. And, um, and again, that's part of the thing that makes our culture so special is affinity. And the Roman empire was like that. If you went into Rome you know, you saw people of all colors of, you know, it was like that cantina scene in Star Wars, or of course the great Venetian Republic. It was this great cross-section of people that came together and they were welcome. I think the most admirable thing about the North of Italy that impressed me the most was the Venetian Republic. Isn't it incredible? It's incredible, really. And no one studies it, you know, and to me, like people are like, oh, Venice, to me, it's like, okay, it's like this sexy woman. She's gorgeous. You just look at her superficially and you think she's really, oh, amazing. But 
Venice had it all going on. She's like entrepreneurial. I mean, she was artistic. She had all of these talents. And nowadays you just go and like, oh, she's gorgeous. But people don't really, you know, study Venice's history because Venice had a like, it had to have like a different business model, right? Because it didn't have land. And so it became, of course, a great trading mercantile republic. But it was completely different. And, you know, again, it's like a beautiful place. I mean, it's maybe my favorite place, but, you know, people just give it credit for it's like, oh, it's romantic. And it lasted for so long. Right. Yeah, sure. People don't even think about the fact that Venice was, let's say, uh, wiped off the map as an independent republic that started in the early 10 hundreds by Napoleon. Napoleon, absolutely. When 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 the United States became a nation, the Venetian Republic was uh, an equally valid nation state. That that right. people don't think about that. I don't think you know. Still being run by a Doge and still being run in the old bureaucratic model, and yeah, same as it was. Well, and it's funny because you know the, there's all of this irony around Napoleon and what he did because you know the liberty-minded French and there had never been anything tyrannical in Venice. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, they would call it La Serenisma. That's a great point. I never thought about that. And, and, and then they come in and it's like, oh, we need to bring like, you know, proper freedom here. And I mean, Napoleon was terrible. He just came and took all the art and, you know, it was terrible. Yeah, that's true. One thing about Italy, you have to say, we never bullied anybody no. culturally. No. We kind of pitied them for not being us, but we never really <laughs> went in and said, that's true about the French. They had that. We have to go in and tell you what to do. Yeah, that's very true. But then again, you know, we, we, we play a game with Napoleon. Right. Sometimes he's Italian. Sometimes he's not. Like, do we own him right. or not? And we right. got to make that decision. Well, it's, right. it's interesting. This is a very deep day today. What's, what's <laughs> yeah, I know it is deep, you know. You know, you, you talk about Venice might be your favorite place, but in uh, in reading the notes, it says that you've been up and down every region of the country oftentimes by bike, sometimes on foot. You've traveled pretty much uh, the Alps to Sicily, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I love I love Sicily. Let me guess. Are you you Sicilian? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm actually, my father's family is from Abruzzo. My mother's family is from Boston Gata. But Pat, you told me, because I couldn't understand, they came early and it was the earthquake. Yeah, it was that it was that eighteen fifty three earthquake? Yeah, eighteen fifty seven, December seventeenth, eighteen. Yeah, it was the Basilicata earthquake. Yeah, and they and they and they were here. I mean, they, you know, they they were citizens actually. They were became citizens in the eighteen seventies. Wow, on that early side. on. Yeah, it was wow. it really? Yeah, it was. Um, it was they and the, and they actually went to Argentina first, and then they came. But then talking about a festival and the town they're from, Achatura, uh, which is up in the Piccolo Dolomiti, um, they have this wedding of the trees, which is a very interesting kind of pagan thing that's been now like associated with something religious. But, you know, it was a, a festival for, you know, fertility and a good growing season. I should follow up on that because we had had a conversation at the Columbus Citizens Foundation. Yeah. And what came out of the conversation was uh, Basilicata, the area around Potenza, and the southern part of Salerno, the Val di Diano, they were the very first 
Southern Italian immigrants to come to the U.S., yes. except yeah. for the Sicilians in New Orleans, which was a, that's a different story. But right. after the Sicilians in New Orleans, New York was flooded with people from Basilicata in the 1870s and people from the Val di Diano in Salerno. What happened was in 1857, there was an absolutely horrific earthquake, December right. of 1857, that hit Basilicata and hit um, southern Salerno, the area around the Val di Diano, and it wiped the area out, like flattened it. And right. it happened at the worst possible time because it happened when Italy was about to go through the turmoil yeah. of the yeah unification, whatever you want to call it, the um, of Garibaldi's invasion of the south. And what happened was the Bourbons had been criticized that they hadn't been on top of it, but they had their own dynastic problems because of a transition from one king to a young king. And um, Garibaldi comes in and the Savoys paid absolutely no attention to that area. So they never recovered from that December 1857 earthquake. And then as soon as America calmed down from the Civil War, um, they start getting on boats. A lot of them thought, okay, well, this Garibaldi thing will work its way out. And then, you know, the new government will start to rebuild. It never happened. So they went from being temporary uh, working migrant workers, basically in the New York area the people from Southern Divaldi Diano and from Basilicata. And then after a while in the 1870s, they're like, it's not worth it going back and forth. Our area is not getting going to get fixed anytime soon. And that's when they relocated to New York. Really, it's been so exciting for my family because we've never really made sense of this. Like it just was weird. It's like so early. Really, I helped, I helped you figure that out. You did really, and um, and and actually, my family thanks you. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that's like the great. You have no idea how happy you just made me. Really? Oh, yes. Good. Pat loves nothing more than a good family mystery. He's <laughs> really he's like he's so passionate about it, and it's his calling in life. <laughs> it is his calling in life to return people their heritage. Really, I mean, he's he's doing it constantly, and well, uh, it, it, it 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 fits the pieces. So people like, why did my, why is New York? Well, there's two groups that came to New York. I call it the maritime people. And Mola is one of those towns. Um, Tour the Greco, Mola, uh, Sorrento, my grandmother's side. They came very early because there was a lot of merchant marine ships that went back and forth to New York. And people like, hey, you know, there's a, there's a boat going to New York. They came as a merchant marine. They stuck around. That's one group. But the other group, the Basilicatas, uh, Valdidiano, the, the, even the Chilento people, because they had an earthquake in 1873, those people came because they had a natural disaster that wiped the area out. Their government was in the middle, basically, you could call it a civil war of reunification. And they were stuck holding the back. And that's why, you know, those people, the people from Tejano and Potenza and from Sanza and, and that Sassano and Monte San Giacomo, that's why they came so early. Yeah, it is. It's very, I mean, it's, it's some of the earliest immigration here to. New York area, definitely. I mean, you see all these old societies and stuff like we're talking about Sansa and the feast and everything like that. I mean, it's uh, it's it's, it's sort of ancient by American standards, really. But I got to ask an even more pressing question: What did you? What were your top dishes in the restaurant? <laughs> oh well, you know. Uh, now I got the Now you're talking about the restaurant, the gelato booth. It's eight thousand degrees outside. You know. Yeah, tell us about the restaurant. Oh, oh my gosh! So, um, so we did. First of all, we had so we had some limitations. Let's call, I, I converted a train station, and so we had pizzas. So my pizzas were amazing because 
we didn't have a pizza oven, but we kind of improvised that on Jarsi. We had pizza stone in a convection oven and we would par-bake the crust. So it was like really crackery and super, super thin. And then I would name the pizzas based on not just like random great Italians, but it would relate to the topping. So for example, the Vivaldi would have roasted red and yellow tomatoes. The Atrice would have fig and oh God, this was fig, gorgonzola, little honey, fresh mint. It was unbelievably amazing. I did white bolognese in the winter. Um, there, there were the so white many. bolognese sounds good. What was, what was a white bolognese? It's a white bolognese sauce, you know, and it was, was it just bolognese it, with no I, tomato, just chopped meat and no. Well, no, it was, and it, it had it had cream, and it it was, you know, it was very filling, um, and it was like my winter white bolognese, whatever. But I mean, I I would have fun with it, and then I had really decadent pizza going back on the the Borja. I had so much fun. And again, everything I tried to do was take an opportunity to create some fun learning, you know, for the guests. And then we did a panettone. Uh, uh, we grilled it and then we would um, we would grill it and then we served gelato over it. We did a lot of interesting things. We had like a um, a Nutella ravioli. <laughs> we just we had so many fun things, experiments with things where, you know, I would take an Italian form and play with it. So it was, it was very, you know, creative. And then I would do flights of wine and, you know, wine and chocolate and uh, for Valentine's day, or we had a always fig festival in the summer doing all fig menus, special all fig menus, Sicilian summer. So we did, you know, we did a lot of things where we would create an event, you know, and then there's so much culture in the food, you know, and, and, and again, that's the whole idea. The food is a portal into the culture. So that was fun. I mean, I don't, um, it was hard. uh, You know, I like to travel. And so that made the restaurant hard for me because, you know, you, (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't really go away and do those long bike trips and do those hiking trips and so on. So, you know, it was a thing, a place of joy for me for a long time. And then when, you know, I closed it, it was the right time for me because I just, I don't know, I, I needed to go back to exploring and, you know, being able to be more free about myself. But. So let me ask you, what's the mission of the book? So we, we understand the mission of the of your restaurant for the years that you had it. What's the mission now of the book as compared to the restaurant? Well, I, I would just say, and I'm really interested in broadening people's understanding and appreciation of Italian culture. I also really, I, I, I'm not young. Um, I can still like, like this weekend, rode my bike over 200 miles, but I don't know. Listen, hold on. Back up, Carl. We got back up on this one. Age is relative. Yes, it is. It is. My, my godmother, my mother's first cousin married a a Sicilian who was my godfather. 
and they had a bakery. They had a family bakery. Lamar was in Jersey City. And my godfather was, I guess, in his 20s. And he used to have breakfast every morning with his grandfather. And his grandfather would say to turn to him one day and said, at the age of 92, ah, what I would do to be 70 again. <laughs> it's all relative. Yeah, right. I know. Well, it is. Um, but I mean, what I, I really want to do is touch younger people, like the younger generation. And I feel like even with my book, everything's distillation. It's short. It's a nugget. Everything. You don't have to work hard to get the information. And I, I wanted to create something that people didn't have to work hard to, you know, get, get to the fun stuff. And, um, and also their little, you know, little uh, drawings, um, many of which I, I, I drew, just to make it fun, make culture fun and really bring it to life for people in a way that is relevant, you know, so that young people, you know, every course like food again is a great way in, but there's so much to, so, so much more depth and how to connect and not academic because people, their, you know, their eyes just gloss over and they can't be bothered. It takes too long. And I just wanted to distill it and make it exciting. And, and this is why I say edutainment, to have it be stealthy, you know, so you, you learned a lot, you didn't realize it. And it was like, well, that was cool. So like, even when I do some of these programs, and I've done them even in schools, I do trivia challenges, which are, you know, Q&A, but like multiple choice. So you have a fighting chance. It's like mm-hmm. it's some weird ass question. It's like, I have no idea, but, you know, but it, it makes it just try to make it fun for people to engage them more deeply. And so I feel that this is how we reach to younger people. Summer's here in full swing, and we want to know how you Italian-American for the season. The Italian-American podcast is partnering with Mediaset Italia for an exciting giveaway. Just snap a pic of your most Italian-American moment this summer, post it to Instagram, and you could win an exclusive Mediaset Italia picnic pack. The picnic pack includes a portable blanket, picnic basket, cheese board, plates, utensils, stackable wine goblets, and a wine opener. Everything you need for an aperitivo picnic under the sun. How do you get your chance to win? It's easy. Just capture what Italian summer means to you and post your picture to Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at Italian American and at Mediaset Italia USA. Then tag both accounts in your post. Don't forget to use the hashtag iHeartMediasetItalia so we can find it. Post your pictures between now and September 21st and we'll pick 20 lucky listeners to receive their picnic pack in the mail. Open to residents of the continental United States? Visit Instagram at Mediaset Italia for more information, terms, and conditions. That's what we've always said we try to do is entertain and educate at the same time. And, right. You know, we, yeah. we, we use the term edutainment a lot around here because it's the best way to pass along what we think. You know, you, you can have a very rigorous and detailed conversation about a specific topic sometimes. And you do lose people because it's got to be fun and it's got to be accessible and it's got to be enough to set them out on a path of self-discovery. You know what I mean? Let, let people fall down the Wikipedia hole or, you know, find the right book list 
on their own. Sometimes if you try to walk them through it, it's just like drinking from a fire hydrant. It's just too much, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even like when I do these talks, I mean, I really put a lot of attention to my visuals because, you know, people want to look at pictures, you know, it's yeah. the same thing with my photo blog, not too many words and pictures. And that's what people really, really want and to try to engage in terms that are the way people want to take in information nowadays, you know? So, yeah. It's important. It's important that you're, that you're accessible. And that, that's, that's what's going to keep these things alive. And this is, you know, especially the kind of stuff you're doing around Italy. Like you said, you know, I, we didn't, it wasn't a setup for me to use the term dog days of summer, but you can go off and have a teachable moment about that history. And it relates back to Italy. And so you're talking about stuff that's everywhere from you know, modern times to deep history. And I think that the best way to deliver that is in fun and digestible packages, you know? Right. Totally. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and it's been, it's been really rewarding because um, I mean, I love doing the speaking and then zoom. I mean, there were things about the pandemic that were really awful, but I actually was able to touch more people, you know, versus like having to, you know, you know, drive somewhere to a group that, you know, whatever, I was really able to reach far more people. But, you know, of course, there's nothing like having a live audience and connecting that way. But I felt like that that worked out and I actually created a lot more content during that that time period. You know, so. And your your goal is to reach out to young people, like you say, how's that been received? Well, I don't I don't actually. um I don't have a clear path here because I feel like at this point, okay, so I've written the book. I have two dozen lectures. I have, you know, 10 different, I have over, over a hundred trivia questions. And at this point, I mean, it's not, you know, particularly about, oh, am I selling books? I kind of don't care about that anymore. And it's more the mission and I really am interested in making all of my content available to educators and a willingness to work with educators to modify the material in any way that they would see fit because I care that passionately about it. And I do think it's designed in a way that would be engaging for young people because my emphasis is always how is it relevant to me today? You know, I really don't care about something people 500 years ago, it's all dead. What does it mean to me now? So, um, so I don't exactly have a plan, but I'm really willing to um, work with anyone who wants to work with me on that because I feel Mm -hmm. like that's something I want to give to the community. You know, I always find it interesting. We talk about this a lot, how, Unfortunately, in the American educational system, you don't get a lot of, uh, you know, you, you, I mean, it's been a long, long time since I was in grade school or high school. But as I, I remember very specifically, when I was in high school, I had a focus on art and history, and I was allowed to create my own course as a senior in history. And so the course I created was to actually teach an infusion of the Italian subject matter into the curriculum and the younger grades of my high school and in some of the um, primary school grades. And so this one history teacher and I would 
come up with this curriculum and it forced me to study it anyway. And I'd go and present in other classrooms and stuff. And it was always kind of disheartening to see that you got like a very little portion on Rome and in Western civilization. You know, they kind of go through it in a quick one or two classes. And then you really see a bit on the Renaissance and a couple of the famous names that come out of it. And then you rejoin Italy for a half a day in uh, the Risorgimento. And then this sort of uh, less than ideal chapter on fascism and its rise and Italy's role in World <laughs> War II. And that's it really, right? That's kind of all you get in the American system. And it's right. it's disheartening. And I do think it takes work from the Italian-American community in particular to say, well, wait a minute, there's a lot of this story that is what we are today that derives from this peninsula. And there's a lot of the story that is what we are today that derives from our 20 plus million person community here too, that, that we need to tell, you know? Right. Well, I mean, and, and in, in fact, I mean, I, I feel that there should be kind of a reset within our community because I don't even think we as a community understand and fully appreciate the, and it's not Italy, it's Western civilization and how the foundation of really Western civilization you know, it's Greco-Roman, but I mean, it was Rome that codified everything. And so much of that, I mean, it's it's just kind of lost on all of us. And I just feel like there's also, then I get into this whole thing, that there's such a thing as cultural DNA, that Italians have this cultural DNA, that when you think about it, it's like, Rome, the Renaissance, and even today, we're the lifestyle superpower. That is the greatest quote I have ever heard on here. <laughs> oh, stop, gosh, stop, I love stop. that. Italy is the world's lifestyle superpower. It we is. Got, get that, John, get that on a T-shirt immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that is the greatest. That is the bomb. That has summed up everything. That's having a moment. Everything. everything. <laughs> no, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't think this is true? No, it is. I, I love how excited you are about it. I'm with you. Italy well, is it, the world's like, stop. It, I, I'm going to have a heart attack right now from the over. Uh, uh, this is, the, this is like the greatest. Do Write this down because I'm going to forget this. So, you know, it's not the first time he's told me he's going to have a heart attack today. So we're, we're, we're <laughs> waiting. Give me, give me, give me. Oh, my. This Italy is the world's lifestyle superpower. That is well, it. Look, that is but, it. OK, we're done. The podcast. Well, this is it. It's so true. It hits every. Okay, think about this. After World War II, okay, pre-World War II, the face of Italy, Il Duce, okay? Then, like, 1960, the face of Italy, it's like the Trevi Fountain and Marcello Mastriani and Kissin and the Trevi Fountain. It's like La Dolce Vita. So this is, it transforms into the world lifestyle superpower, and to think about it, it's like this um, miraculous makeover post-World War II. Italy would never conquer foreign lands like through military force, but it's like Italy has captured the hearts and minds of the world. And that is, it is the lifestyle superpower. And it's amazing because Italians somehow keep managing to reinvent themselves and staying relevant. And no other culture can claim that. I mean, we're amazing. And as a community, we should more embrace the amazingness of our cultural DNA. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, you know, the transformation from the state where, uh, better or worse, the concept of political fascism was created, right? Um, which before that 
was considered sort of a lesser of the great powers, right? Italy never had the standing on the world stage that France and Britain and the United States eventually, Russia, Germany, it was always sort of the least of the great powers, uh, always sort of playing catch up. And then you have this 20 years of chest pounding nationalism that ends very, very badly for Italy. And then somewhere along the line, there's this, whether it was conscious or not, recommitment to be a cultural superpower, right? And, and that's what Italy really is. If you think about it, that's very well said. Everything, every industry, every art form, every uh, business has got some incredibly high-end ideal that's that's been manufactured or created or designed out of Italy. That's, it's, yeah, it's very, very true. Pat and I had this conversation with the council general a couple of weeks ago at a luncheon at the consulate. And he was saying, you know, people just don't, people take for granted and perhaps Italy does a bad job of, of spreading the word, how much Italy impacts industries that people never expect them. You know, every rocket ship that, that blasts off into space has a uh, special, I think it's a, a sort of lubricating uh chemical gel whatever that's manufactured in italy or parts that are manufactured in italy and you know telecommunications and technology italy is there as a as a superpower leading the way in thought and style right and and also i mean italians i mean everything of course you think of beauty but everything that italy does it's not just beauty for the sake of like aesthetics i mean they solve problems I mean, so this is this whole like right brain, left brain, aesthetic pragmatism, all of this. I mean, so under underlying everything that looks amazing is, you know, again, like this brainy thing. It's just like Venice was very smart. No one gives her credit. And again, it's not just, oh, you know, it's a pretty place and everything is beautiful. But there's a lot of, again, that left brain and analytic, and not just aesthetic, but Italy has it all going on, you know, it just does. Sure does. I, I, you know, you, you, you guys make fun of me because I almost had a heart attack, but it, 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 that's <laughs> you still it. still having a heart attack? No, but it's like, it, don't you, it's, that's it. Italy is the world's lifestyle superpower. That's it. That, you got to answer every question with that. So actually, so Patrick, I have a talk. I, I have to do it. I'll do it for you. It's a, it's a lecture called Italy, the world's lifestyle superpower. It's it's real interesting. And Italy didn't want to be that. Italy just is that. They just did it, right? They they didn't have a plan. They just they don't have it. to invade like China and Russia and America. All these countries invading and we don't need that. We're us. We don't need to. Right. Totally. That's very true. I mean, that was you know we've had episodes lately where we talk about Italy's political. Uh, ups and downs and all of these sort of doubt and this and that, but you remind yourself that Italy almost naturally, without even trying, is always going to be that lifestyle superpower and uh, a place that people are drawn to. And even those of us who are generations removed from being part of that peninsula, we're drawn to it still. I think that's why it always shocks people how attached the Italian-American community is. You know, you're talking about having ancestors that came over in the 1850s yet here you are doing this evangelically because italy draws you in that's what it does yeah it totally does so tell the audience uh, before we go how they can find the book where they can hear you how they can participate in all the stuff you're doing because you're always doing such great stuff yeah so uh so you can get my book on amazon and you can also get it in uh local 
bookstores, La Dolce Vita University, An Unconventional Guide to Italian Culture from A to Z, and my website, um, which has information about the book. You can purchase the book there too, um, but also my lectures and trivia challenges and all of that. It's La Dolce Vita U, so L-A-D-O-L-C-E-V-I-T-A, and just the letter U, ladolcevitau.com. And my photo blog is Postcards from the Boot. And I love doing these talks. I just, I get so excited when I talk about my stuff. I just get very, very happy. <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, if you, t- I mean, let's have our um, big fat Greek wedding moment. If you take Italy out of world history, what's left? Very, very Not thin really, book. Nothing like, very thin book. That should be a t-shirt, Pat. Yeah, it's true. It's like, it's like five pages. <laughs> yeah, it's true. How many UNESCO World Heritage Sites are in Italy? It used to be 57%. Right. One little country has 50% of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Well, we 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 exceed China. I mean, there's all this politics in, in all of this. But, I mean, when you think about it, okay, so compared to China, China is 32 times the size of Italy. It's had a lo- actually longer history. But Italy, think about it. It's one-tenth of 1% of the planet's landmass. And it's had more influence on the world than one-tenth of 1%. No one has had our influence. And there's just never been any anything like that. And it. like you said, we're a lifestyle superpower. Yep. Art, food, music, intellect. Every, I mean, us, we're us. Yeah, right. sure. I, and I mean, it's not like, okay, so they're Greece. They're still talking about like Socrates. That was a long time ago. We're relevant. <laughs> I didn't today. say it, but. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but we're, I, I mean, this it, is, we, we are relevant today. Absolutely. And that's what's different about us because we keep up with the times. We reinvent ourselves. Some countries had golden eras. We are one big golden era. Right. Well, actually, yeah, we've kind of had three, but you know, it, but it's great. Nobody has it. I was in a European country. I'm not going to mention which one. And I'm going around this country like, oh, this country has so much art. And I thought to myself, yeah, it's, it's not a beautiful country, but there's more art in one province. I mean, like Potenza has more art in the whole province of Potenza or Matera than this whole country Matera. does. And you I know. kind of felt bad for them. I said, you know, like, you know, you're showing <laughs> off your best and your brightest and you still have a fraction that we have. Uh, but I think least, we have we have a right to be, and I mean, not arrogant in a condescending way, but you know, our pride is justified. No, we have no, we have a right to be really proud. Yeah, correct. Really, really proud. You know. Well, you've done a great job of sharing that pride in a non-arrogant way, for sure. I mean, the book is very accessible. Everybody that I know that has it loves it. It's a great gift to share with people. It's actually one of the uh, pleasantly surprised to see it in our local bookstore here in town. Not that long ago, as I was going to see if they had uh, any Italian section, and it's there and pride of place. So if you don't have it, definitely go out and get it. It's a great work to have on your shelf. Go out there, buy the book. Some of you don't have the money, save that around. Put your nickels and dimes aside and buy the book. You have a, a, a gift, a birthday gift you need for a cousin, give them the book. It's a good gift. It's a great gift. The holidays are coming up. Put it underneath the tree, wrap it up. Tell your friends if you belong to an Italian club. Tell them about it, your organization, post it on your Facebook post, a link to buying the book. If we don't support these people, we're not going to go anywhere. It's well worth it. It certainly um, is. It's well worth it, 100%. Yeah, well worth it. So, Carla, thanks for coming on, taking some time to be with us. We look forward to the next uh, the next lecture for sure. and we'll, Hopefully we can be out and be a part of it. And uh, you're more than welcome back anytime. 
Great. Well, this was this was so much fun. It was a great day. I'm glad that so happy and I gave you a heart attack. It was very very eventful. Oh, day what a day. Around, you know? oh my god. I almost fell on the yeah. ground. You, had, you hit the bomb. Italy is the world's lifestyle superpower. Imagine if you would have made Pat's day and then gave him a heart attack. I never got a tattoo. I skeeve tattoos. I don't like needles. I don't like tattoos. I skeeve them. But if I was going to get a tattoo, that would be the tattoo. Oh, my God. We so have to film Patrick getting a tattoo. No, I'm not getting a tattoo. I skeeve them. I don't like them. Oh, but right. if I was, that like, would be the tattoo. That one you would get? That would you. We got to get that. Come on. I'd write it. I would write it in Abu Dhabi. No. No, <laughs> I, I don't like needles. What about a handle? I don't like needles. I don't like dentists. And I mean, I like dentists as people. I just don't like the needles. I don't yeah. like needles and drills and needles and ink. And I want ink and a fountain pen. I'm done. What's JP, you're going to make like uh, IA temporary tattoos. Oh, that'd be great. Feast tattoos. Yeah. Our favorite I want slogans. the t-shirt. Get the t-shirt. I right. want the t-shirt. That'll be, I'm going to have, that'll be your shirt. I'm on it. Italy I'm on is it. the world's lifestyle superpower. I think we should hand that out. That should be like our. A bombonera. When we go places, that is what the Italian American podcast on. Because right. I, I can Carla, do that. And I'm not blowing you sunshine because you're my friend. That that <laughs> encapsulates. It's done. That's our motto. Speaking of the excellence of Italy, I know uh, Pat, you're working on your musical excellence. So prepare yourself. Pat's going to prepare his instrument. As I say, oh, you know, I forgot it. Let me get out. I keep it all wrapped up. Hold on. Oh, don't worry. I can put the old one. No, 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 no. I got my gazoo. I'm going to uh, use it. Unwrap my it. my made in USA gazoo. Yeah, prepare I have yourself. The Stradivarius of gazoos. You do, you sure do. Wait, I have to get prepared for this. Yeah, get it prepared. I'm a, I'm a musician now. I can't. I gotta get. It <laughs> That's right. You gotta keep up that Italian excellence, as we say to our friends out there. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Got a various of kazoos. If oh, you want joy. your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano.